Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Nine oh one. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, last night ESPN wrapped up the Lance Armstrong documentary, and. I don't know what his plan was when he agreed to do this, but I don't think that it made him look better or good any better than it, it may than he looked before the thing got started. Now his name is out there, maybe that's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Did you find any redeeming qualities about Lance Armstrong in this doc? No. And I don't know if that was his intent. Because I think one of my main takeaways from this documentary was People look at what he did and the fact that he cheated and the doping scandal. And whenever something like this happens, we want our athletes to be very contrite. We want them to to be outwardly remorseful and emotional about the fact that they cheated. And whether it's Lance Armstrong or the Astros, a lot of the time, these aren't likable characters. And these guys don't really feel like they did anything wrong. Do they know that they broke the rules? Sure. Would they go out and do it again if it means that they won? Probably. So what we're looking for in a redemption story with Lance Armstrong. I don't think it exists. No, I don't think it ever will exist. Now, this is a guy that ruined a lot of careers. He was extraordinarily powerful in the cycling industry, and he would make phone calls to essentially ruin careers. And he was asked what uh, what he thought when he got up in the morning. What was it like looking at yourself in the mirror? Were no you- problem. Because I'm not, I'm not justifying it or defending it, but I'm telling you, it was not a problem. Because, because it was it was just part of the it would, I was so used to it and it was part of the game and it was it was it, you just kind of become immune to that. I mean it's crazy. I'm not it's crazy to say hear myself say that, but that's the truth. There were people that worked as they were essentially whistleblowers about not just Armstrong, but the entire cycling industry and all the doping that was going on. And these people worked intimately with Armstrong. And when they would say something about him, say, hey, you got to check this guy, he would either fire them Mm -hmm. or call to get them fired and file lawsuits against them when he knew that he was wrong. Yeah, there was no compassion or empathy. It was, you're in my way, and I'm going to eliminate you, regardless no <laughs> regardless of, of the fact that I'm the one in the wrong here. It doesn't matter. But when he talks about how it was so normalized, I mean, one of the things that I, I wrote down in the doc was he started doping at 21. Mm-hmm. This was essentially, he got into cycling at a really serious stage at 15, 16 years old, and his first pro season 
He was already so good. His first pro season, he started doping with cortisone. So when it becomes so normalized for you and then you look around your sport and literally everyone else is doing it, you have a certain chip on your shoulder that makes you justify all the terrible things that you're doing. But the strange thing with him is that he overcame cancer, life-threatening. Most people would die. His chances of survival were infinitesimal. He overcame cancer and still had no problems with doping and the possible consequences that would derive be derived from doping. Which is surprising. But then on the other hand, you think, hey, I, I got a second shot here. Like he talked about, once he started winning again, he thought, wow, this is my second chance at glory. This is my second chance at being a champion in this sport. And when you get that second chance, something that you thought was eliminated forever, when you get that second chance, it is so rare that you're going to do whatever it takes to succeed. Or at least that's what he did. Now, Tyler Hamilton was a teammate of Lance Armstrong. He thought he was good. He was a good cyclist. And he changed teams. Armstrong called up the governing body of cycling and said, hey, you need to check this guy for drugs. They did. And like everybody else, he was doping. He tested positive. Several years later, another former Armstrong teammate, after Armstrong had retired, Floyd Landis, won the Tour de France. And Armstrong was not happy about it. But Landis ultimately wound up sending detailed emails to the USADA, the, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, and the CDI in charge of cycling, and detailed all of the doping that that Lance Armstrong and Landis and everybody else had done in exquisite detail. And Armstrong was asked how he felt about himself. He said, okay, and he added, could be worse. I could be Floyd Landis, waking up a piece of shit every day. Is that what you think? Yeah, that's what I know. I don't think it, I know it. So what he did to Tyler Hamilton was he feels okay about, yeah. but he did the exact same thing, uh, Landis did the exact same thing to him, and it's not an eye for an eye here. That's why part of watching this is you realize this isn't a great guy. Even when he's 16 years old and people are talking about him first getting involved in cycling, people didn't like him. He was brash, he was narcissistic, he was arrogant, and it seems like he's kind of delusional to where he can look at these two situations that are pretty similar and it's only about him and what affected him. I just don't think he has the, the viewpoint of this that so many people want him to have. And interestingly, Michelle, it appears to still, years, a decade after his career has ended, still be all about him. This is going to sound terrible, but I am relevant. I am. And I get that. Look, I know that every headline starts with the word disgraced or disgraceful, or some version of that word disgrace. But the story is so polarizing, and it's just, it will always be that way. And I know that. By knowing it, I don't expect it to change. I don't want it to change. I'm not trying to will it to change. It's complicated. Uh, is it? No. Is it polarizing? Is it complicated? I think it's pretty crystal clear. You cheated. People don't like you. The end. Right. And what he's... The, the, end. Sense, the sense I get is that at the end of the day, he, he he's convinced himself that cheating is okay. He says he'd do it again. So, and he basically wouldn't take anything from that standpoint back. Now, he did say that he felt bad about some of the people that he had mistreated. But in terms of the cheating and the way that he won, he had no qualms with that. And I think that's why 
people probably don't like him. If he would just say, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. I cheated, and I'm sorry, I think people would feel differently, or at least would have felt differently about him. I don't think they will now. But he's still saying, I cheated, deal with it. And here's where I will defend him. When the Festina team got popped, right before he went and went out and started doping again and ended up winning... This, the sport protected him in a lot of ways because after the Festina team gets busted for doping, they said previously it was the wild, wild west, you had people in the documentary talking about how this, the times, the speeds these cyclists had should have decreased. If doping was eliminated from the sport, their times should have been slower because they weren't taking illegal substances. And then it came out and it was the fastest race ever. The next race, the one that Lance Armstrong rung, the, the Tour de France, the year after the doping scandal in 99, it was the fastest times they'd ever seen in cycling. From a logical and rational standpoint, the people that are running these cycling organizations, these races, know that there is no way that everybody involved in this is not also doping. They're just ahead of the system. But they they loved the Lance Armstrong redemption, the comeback story. It gave you know people something to be inspired by. It put what was kind of a European and more of an international sport in cycling. The Tour de France was all over America. Everyone, the Tour de Lance, everyone was talking about it. It was beneficial for their sport and therefore beneficial for them to protect him. And sponsors were there. That was the big thing. It made them money. And so with him, you're going to take care of your golden goose, and he was our golden goose, and they were doing everything they could to take care of him. A couple of other things from the documentary I thought were interesting that I didn't know about. Number one, I thought it was interesting, notable, that his son basically put him on blast by saying, yeah, I, I, I'm more of a grinder. I don't think I would ever use PEDs. But also that's, yeah, that was interesting that a son would take that approach. But it's also kind of easy for him to say. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was very telling to me when all of his teammates were talking about doping. And to hear all these other former cyclists' perception of it when they were saying. Because I, I, I am going to admit I didn't really even know about cycling or the Tour de France before Lance Armstrong. Mm -hmm. It's just not something that I was very into, but he brought it into my consciousness, into my, my view. And... I didn't realize how dangerous it was and how just oh, yeah. grueling it was. And so to hear all of these other people, his peers say, yeah, we couldn't have done this without EPO. We couldn't have done this without doping. There's no way that you can com- compete at the level that we were competing at without doing this. And they're going out there saying, we're already putting our lives on the line by going at these speeds on this terrain in France. So when you're thinking about it from that perspective, What's what's doping at that point? It's just another way for them to get their ultimate goal. It's not it's right. not as treacherous or not as as scary when you're thinking about the conditions that they're already being put in. Yeah, the the total package of what was going on there with the the terrain and the the speeds as you mentioned and the crashes and by the way he was a very talented rider it, yeah it wasn't he wasn't just a product of drugs he was a very talented rider but the the total package there really does give you an idea of why those guys were doing what they did because if they won there were a lot of rewards at the end mm-hmm. the other thing I thought. I would have been pissed if I were Cheryl Crow and I saw that. But he was never happy. He was with her for like five or six years. Yeah, I was never really happy with her. Yeah, it's kind of a burn, huh? Yeah. So. And was that necessary? I don't think so. I thought this. I, I, I literally thought that at the time. I go, is that necessary? 
Yeah. So. Kennett, Missouri's own. That's right. Yeah. So we protect our own here. That's right. Don't you diss Cheryl Crow? No, she's ours. Honestly, the doping is one thing. How dare you diss Cheryl Crow? (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Michelle's got some great stuff for us coming up on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. other quick notes about Lance Armstrong and I read a book about him a long time ago. I had the author on on a show that I was doing at another station. He was put under a test at the Human Performance Laboratory at the University of Texas at Austin. A couple of notes about him physically. His heart can beat over 200 times a minute, much higher than average, and pump a very large volume of blood and oxygen to his legs. This means his VO2 max, the maximum amount of oxygen his body can utilize, was very high. Also, he had extremely low lactic acid levels during hard exercise. Since buildup of acid can cause muscles to stop contracting, it helped that he produced nearly half as much acid as the average person. And one other note, his average muscle efficiency, which is the percentage of chemical energy that muscles are able to use to produce power, was also much higher than average. That allows greater production of power. A big part of this is Armstrong's experience riding a bicycle, his extremely uh, high RPM, a good bike fit, and the ability to convert a very high number of fast twitch muscle fibers to slow twitch muscle fibers. So, he was a genetic freak as well as being a freak because of the the performance enhancers. But, Michelle, I think the point here is that if nobody is doping, he would have been the best. And if everybody is doping, as they were, mm-hmm. he was the best. And that stuff you all mentioned is before he was doping. Right. That's crazy. Well, I mean, the first part of the documentary chronicled his rise as a teenager into this world. And he's... 15, 16 years old, and he's competing with grown men who are the best in the world at this, and he's winning. And that's, that's obviously, there's something to the way he's physically built that allows him to be at their level at that point in time. I also, one more thing, when we talked about him as a kid, he's 15, and in a lot of these races, you had to be 16 mm-hmm. to get in, and his mom would help forge his birth certificate and help forge uh, the paper so that he could be in, and then he would get in and win. But even your first moments in this sport are based on lies. Yeah. Everything is based on you doing what you need to do and lying to get what you want. She was a gateway. Was but, a problem. But it, should, it seems like at no point was lying or deceiving people ever frowned upon or uh, looked at as, as a negative. It just seemed like that was something that was kind of ingrained in him mm-hmm. from those around him that, hey, do whatever you need to Good do point. and you're going to win. Yep. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he didn't even let her finish her sentence in that cup right there. He jumped right in with it, no problem. He's like, I feel good about this. Okay, we like to let people finish, so we'll start with this. You're killing me, Small! Thank you, Randy. Okay, well, we know that the New York Mets, a lot of people are trying to make a run at purchasing the franchise from the Wilpon family. We had heard rumblings that Alex Rodriguez and J-Lo, J-Rod, as a lot of people might call them, were interested in buying the Mets, and that kind of seemed to fall by the wayside. It seems like that plan might have a second life, Randy. They're willing to part with hundreds of millions of their own money to make it happen, but they are looking for some outside investors. And a group that has come into the frame here is Patriots owner Robert Kraft 
and it's on Jonathan Kraft. And that, to me, is an interesting group of people that would be willing to buy the Mets. And, you know, when you think about Bob Kraft, Randy, as a guy who's used to getting a hand, it's nice to see him lend a hand. <laughs> right? Yes. It's nice to very, see very well done. turn the tables there a yeah, little bit. I like that. I wonder if the same rules that were supposed to have applied to uh, Enos Stanley Kroenke would apply to Kraft about not owning a franchise, uh, owning franchises in separate markets. Obviously, they never did that to Kroenke. I can't imagine that they would to Kraft, but it'd be a smart business move for either J-Rod or uh, Bob John. <laughs> To, to buy low, I, I think with the Wilpon family suffering some financial distress, and they never really have recovered from being uh, victimized in the, the Ponzi scheme, I think that uh, this might be the time to pounce if you're interested in buying a baseball franchise because the value is going to decrease, and you would hope that they're smart enough to get the value back up. Randy, take it or leave it. A-Rod will be better at running a baseball franchise than Derek Jeter is. I'm going to take that. I am. I I think A-Rod actually has a greater understanding of the game in terms of being able to parse the nuance of the game and then explain it. Uh, young players with the Yankees would talk about how great he was at explaining the game. Mm-hmm. And I think if he owned a franchise, he would have an understanding as to how to go about winning better than Cheater. He also has the A-Rod Corp. You know, he's done Shark Tank. He's a veritable mm-hmm. businessman. J-Lo also has an empire. I also think it would be interesting if that, in fact, does get done because while the Yankees are iconic, New York, pinstripes, all of that, if you bring J-Lo and A-Rod and perhaps the Kraft family in this, that's a lot of star power. Oh, that'd be huge, yeah. So I, I wonder, not that the Yankees would ever be threatened by the Mets, but how that would play. Because you think about the New York Post, you think about all the tabloids, it's going to be the Mets that are on the cover. Right. And if everyone's paying attention to the Mets, I wonder how that plays in New York. If the t- if the popularity tide would ever shift. That's a battle for the back page if ever there was one. That's and right. J-Lo is from the Bronx, That's correct? right. Yeah, so of course. interesting, too. I mean, she was in many a video wearing a Yankees hat. Right. So both of them would have to uh, pledge their allegiance to another team. That'd be interesting. You're killing me, Smalls. So, Randy, I'm just going to read you a headline from ESPN.com. Our, Fred, our friend Greg Wyshynski posted this. Okay. Jack Eichel, quote, fed up with the losing as Buffalo Sabres playoff drought hits nine years. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I was going to say, do you think Ryan O'Reilly is like, yeah, I feel <laughs> you, man. Give me a call. <laughs> Absolutely. And Eichel's under contract to them for eight more years. O'Reilly was under contract for them for a long time. That's a really bad ownership. That's the same ownership that owns the Bills and their buddies with Kroenke. And that's uh, Terry and Kim Pagula, the owner of the Saber, owners of the Sabres. And they have a terrible general manager. If they keep that general manager around, he will move Jack Eichel. That's a guarantee. Wow. Here's the entire quote because he does not mince any words. And this is your captain and your star. He says, listen, I'm fed up with the losing and I'm fed up and I'm frustrated. You know, it's definitely not an easy pill to swallow right now. It's been a tough tough couple months. It's been a tough five years with where things have gone. I'm a competitor. I want to win every time I'm on the ice. I want to win a Stanley Cup every time I start a season. And you think about somebody like Ryan O'Reilly who said that that environment caused him to lose some of his 
love he had for the game. And then as soon as he gets out of there and comes to St. Louis, it's like he's reborn and he's in this great environment and he's able to flourish. I just I wonder if Jack Eichel looks at a guy like Ryan O'Reilly and thinks, I want that. I want to get out. I want to be in a winning environment. And Eichel, like Robert Thomas and so many young players here, he was part of the O'Reilly school in Buffalo. When O'Reilly would stay after practice, he would help Eichel grow as a player. And there are a lot of similarities, although I don't sense that Eichel is getting ripped as much as O'Reilly did. And I think the the phrase that O'Reilly rightfully made was, they to paraphrase, they sucked the, the love of the game out of me. And then he comes here and he loves it again because he gets to a place where they can win. And by the way, the Blues are not getting Jack Eichel. I know that there's a lot of... Every time a good player comes on the market, they say, Doug Armstrong, go get this guy. Well... You've got O'Reilly, you've got Shen under a long-term contract, you've got Robert Thomas. You aren't going and getting another center when you have Pareko and Schwartz and Bennington coming up for free agency in the next two years. Plus, Petrangelo now. No, you're not getting Jack Eichel in St. Louis. No, but it would be fun to think about. Yeah, if we didn't have... If we had it's the not old, realistic. If, if it were the olden days and our ownership didn't have a cap and just wanted to spend money, then you could do it. But we don't have that anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. All right. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. You're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Danny McLaughlin has his weekly visit with us, and then we'll cross things over with Dan as we head towards Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. Now it's time for the Danny Mac Report. This is Cards. It's history. As we give you the lowdown on everything cards, brought to you by Goodwill. Donate your car to Goodwill. It is quick, easy, and towing is free. The St. Louis Cardinals. Central Division Champions with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. ESPN's Jeff Passon reporting that baseball players have come back with a proposal that might be a start towards an agreement. It would be a 114 game regular season that they would want. They would want deferred money on their salaries if there is no postseason played this year. Not at the moment willing to give up the money that would be lost by baseball with the 40% pay cuts. Danny Mack, you've seen the proposal. What do you think? Well, if you look at it from an owner's perspective, the key in this whole thing is making sure that you get to the postseason. So if there's a second wave of the coronavirus, you can understand why owners would want to be protected because it's something like $1.3 billion to $1.4, I believe, is the national TV contract. And a good portion of that, probably 65 to 70 percent of that money is on the postseason. And you could also understand why players want to play more games. They're saying, well, the more games we play, the more money we make. I could see an owner saying, well, that's all well and good. And, yeah, we'd love to see baseball, but there's no fannies in the seats. So what's the point of playing more games if we don't have more people in there? So having a viable regular season to set up a viable postseason is what we're getting to. I, I'm still going to remain positive until, me, until they tell me this thing is canceled because I just cannot believe that uh, they wouldn't get something done with everything else that's going on. I mean, y- you could have, and I-, I talk about it all the time, you could have the M- NBA, NHL, golf, MLS, NASCAR, um, cornhole, you-, you name it. <laughs> Whatever sport you play is going to be back before baseball next spring. So that's 17 or 18 months going dark. You're out of the American conscience of, of watching sports. Mm-hmm. You know, out of sight, out of mind. So they got to get it done, even though people are going to take a financial hit. For the betterment of the sport, I think you have to get it done. 
when you hear reports from different insiders and experts that say there's a, a group of owners that feel perfectly comfortable having baseball not have a season yeah. in 2020, what's your reaction to that? I, I don't buy it. I, I don't buy all of it. Now, now, it's easy to say that because if you just look at the spreadsheet and you say, well, okay, we don't have to pay this out and uh, we'll just go get them next year. Well, who's going to be there next year? I, I worry about sponsors. I worry about fans coming back. I worry about your TV ratings going way down if you don't come back. So in my mind, and again, I don't have to pay these salaries, so it's easier for me to say this, but just from the outside looking in, it's short-sighted because it's not the long-term view of what the game looks like in 2021, 2022, and beyond. Now, are there going to be financial hits in free agency? Absolutely. Do I still think Mookie Betts, instead of getting $300 million, is going to get $200 million? Yes, I do. There's going to be an owner that does that. But it's short-sighted. You know, it's not about the now, in my opinion. It's about the full look at where the sport is. And I'll tell you what, Michelle, if if that happens, that an owner says, hey, we're not going to play this year because we're going to you know, lose too much money, I, I cringe to think of what the sport looks like if you do come back. And the players may say, some of them may say, you know what? Now, I think it would be very tough for them to do because they're going to miss, you know, potentially all those checks this year and that money. But who's to say that they wouldn't strike going into next season with a work stoppage plan potentially the year after Mm -hmm. next? So, you know, those are all factors that go into this negotiation, too. One of the things about the schedule, if they would start, as the players are proposing, on June 30th, you have 96 days between June 30th and October 4th. (laughs) Well. You could easily get to 105 games, I think, Mm -hmm. if you would play a doubleheader every weekend. I would think doubleheaders are... There there might be times you play two. I, I think the players would be fine with it, just saying, we'll play a couple doubleheaders uh, every week. If, if if that means we're going to get to 114 or 115 or 120 games, whatever the case may be, I mean, they want to play as many games as they can, Randy. I mean, they, they, they want the money. Right. But he, he, if you meet in the middle, because the owners I understand what was, you're saying, uh, yes. was 82. But, and that's why you go that yeah. far, yeah. It, so to you, your point. You, you're right. trying to get to 100. I think that's probably the magic number. I, I would think so. But going back to the original point, and you're question about the owners. I bet there's some owners who are saying, look, we'll do this, but we're coming back at 82 and that's going to be it. You know, well, Because we, we, we're we not going to make any money with people not in the seats. The first thing I said this morning was I, I think baseball has a larger ego than they should. They aren't America's pastime anymore, and they have to come to grips with that. And you brought up sponsors. If, if you're a sponsor... I'm really concerned about that. Yeah, because they, that's... 10% of the, the $10 billion that they yeah. have. That's a billion dollars. And if you lose half of those because you don't play a season because you lost money, and then if you're going to sign a long-term deal with MLB, and like you said, you have a CBA that's up after the 2021 season, why on God's green earth, why w- would you sign that deal when you can go to MLS and spend your money there or go to the NFL or go to the NBA or go to the NHL? The the franchises and the sports that are playing all the time and you know they're going to be there. Well, and that's the key. You know they're going to be there. So that's the short-sighted part of this. If you don't play this year and set it up, because I do think, you know, emotions and nerves right now are so raw with this and the distrust factor between the two is clearly 
very, very high as opposed to what we've seen with the other sports, that if you don't play, why would you as a company invest in that sport if you know the level of participation from the fan isn't there? That's something you have to think about. That's why it's short-sighted if you don't play this year. Yeah, you're going to... Everybody in the world right now is taking a financial haircut. Everybody. Mm -hmm. But for the viability of your sport, think long-term... And the economy is not going to be the same when we come back. We understand that. Some of it will, some of it not. But it's going in the right direction. And I still go back to if you're baseball and you you roll it out on June 30th or July 4th, a lot of what we're talking about by the common fan out there is forgotten. You don't worry about, okay, they fought. Yep, fighting happens and negotiate, but they got it done. Right, they played. They played. I'm in. I'm, I'm with them. But if you don't... That's a real problem. There's a lot of fans out there that are turned off by what they're reading right now because of the money aspect of all of this. And when you look at the other leagues, a lot of this was done cohesively. It was a collaborative effort. You don't hear anything about money. What do you think it is about baseball that seemingly can't get out of their own way? Distrust between the two sides. Um, I also think that it... You're comparing apples and oranges a little bit with the NBA, the NHL, and MLB. And I think that point has not been driven home enough, where they got about 85 to 88% of their season in. Mm -hmm. NHL was able to take their final check and put it in escrow. And these guys made their money for the most part, where you look at Major League Baseball, you know, they haven't gotten off the... You know, off the starters block here. So we're still trying to figure out a regular season, then worry about a postseason. So it comparing the two, not to say that it's fair. Um, it's it, it's just they are different. But I think the other thing too, Michelle, to the greater point is that here's Gary Bettman and Donald Fear, who are villains in in past lives of what they did. I mean, Donald Fear was the head of the Players Association for Major League Baseball, and I mean, Randy, we saw it. You and I were talking about it all the time. I mean, he was kind of a villain. He was the worst. He was yeah, tough. He, he had a very <laughs> he punchable was, face. Like he, he, he had a more punchable face than Cutler. So really? He, he, yeah. was, he was tough. Gary Bettman, for God's sakes, saw an entire season and no Stanley Cup awarded. That's a full season. Mm-hmm. That it, it took years to get people back, in my opinion, with that sport and get the general fan back in. Um, and so to the greater point of what we're talking about, Adam Silver is talking to Chris Paul. He's talking to LeBron. Uh, the players had a cohesive relationship in trying to figure this thing out for postseason play. Now, again, a lot of stake, a lot's at stake with the money. I get it. That's the driving force behind it. But they figured out we need each other. Um, I'm not sure there's a player, and I'm going to talk about this in the sport right now, a baseball that stands up and says, we're doing this, like LeBron. LeBron mm-hmm. is saying, we're getting, mm-hmm. he's, he's calling his guys in from the Lakers and all over the league and saying, let's go, we need to play. Um, I'm not sure there's that force there, and I'm not sure that there's the trust factor to where players can get with owners or Rob Manfred and make this thing happen. I don't know. It just makes me nervous because the three of us in here, we love baseball as a sport. Oh, we live in a, a and base- our city. In our city, we understand what baseball means to so many people. And I would just like to see the parties involved. You'd think prior to all of this, they would look at, at the environment that we're existing in in this country and they would say, hey, maybe let's let's make these negotiations more private. Let's let's not release all of the gross and, and gory details about finances to the world. But they haven't taken that approach on both sides. I, I'll give you a great example, pr and and a lot of this is the PR battle. I think you guys both agree. There's been leaks on both sides and, and how this thing's going. But even how the minor league situation was handled in the last week, PR-wise, in my opinion, was not handled properly because 
there were going to be guys at the end of spring training that you never would have heard about that were going to be cut anyway. They weren't good mm-hmm. enough to play with their respective teams. At mm-hmm. least that team felt, okay, you're no good anymore or not of use to us or however you want to put it, but your services are no longer wanted. Um, that was going to happen. And when you get around to the draft, there are more and more players that are released or cut because you need to make spots for the new guys coming in that you draft. But yet it looked like completely just a money Whop from the top, right? You just cut all these guys, and we're going to save a million bucks by not paying them. Yeah, you are saving some money, but that's not necessarily the full extent of the story, which needed to be explained that these guys were going to get released anyway. There was a mm-hmm. lot of guys that were going to get released in baseball. That's just the nature of the beast. But the average fan, when they picked up their newspaper or went on the Internet, they saw, well, some billion, uh, billionaire cut guys, and he didn't want to pay them a million bucks. Mm-hmm. That's what you saw. It was going to happen, not not to the full extent that we've seen, but to an extent. And those guys were going to be replaced. That's the yeah, other. That's thing. my point. Is yeah. is that that was going to happen anyway? These were lower end minor leaguers. Some of them that were not going to see their dream continue. It's got to be the hardest part of of a guy that runs a minor league system, bringing in a, a, a player that his dream is over and it's it's done with. But that's part of what baseball does. That's the feeder system, the minor leagues. There are guys that are going to get replaced, but yet. The narrative was that, well, we're just slashing money. And that, it, while it, some of it is true, not all of it is either. We are going to head towards Scoops with Danny Mac coming up next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. in the fast lane. I've been criticized greatly by my former cohorts for uh, using a selfie stick. And there's a selfie stick here in the studio. I don't know who this belongs to. It's I not thought it was mine. yours. It is not mine. So, don't you, dude, man, you get looked at me with disdain. <laughs> it is I, not I'm, mine. I'm wondering if it's yours. No. Okay. Dan, is. are you pro-selfie? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I can't imagine you taking a selfie. I, I don't. It looks like a no. quality selfie stick. Well, it's outdated with that little gadget there. You'd have to get the true, you know, the uh, adapter for the new iPhone. But um, yeah, I'm not pro selfie. No, not That's at all. That's a long reach on that thing. Uh, the selfie sticks are great. I am pro doing videos, though. I like doing videos. Yeah. I'm I'm excited about doing videos. I really am. You put them up on the on the gram. Uh, some I do. I'm, I'm getting better at Instagram because it's, it, the videos can only be 60 seconds mm-hmm. unless you go to IGTV, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Michelle? Yeah. And Dan, tell everyone how they can follow you on Instagram. Um, at Scoops with Danny Mac. Yeah. Is that it? Scoops with yeah. Danny Mac. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Everyone follow Dan. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for the plug. Got it. Uh, I'm more of a Twitter guy because I'm just used to Twitter and I've kind of learned how to navigate it. So mm-hmm. I still haven't figured out Facebook very well. Don't a couple people have, t- yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Um, tried to get a hold of me and they're like, why aren't you talking to me? I, I don't know because I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not personal, dude. It's, it's not personal. <laughs> I mean, I mess around on Twitter. I, Twitter's dangerous, though, man. Oh, yeah. Dangerous. Facebook is a dark place. Is it? Is it well, dark? that's the one the Russians like, you know. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So they try to control the minds of Americans. Tell you what, looking, I, I scroll through Twitter for kind of like my news feed. I, I, I like to see, all, yeah, I follow that's what the base, it's great for. baseball writers yep. and um, some of the national outlets for news. And it was, uh, it was a tough weekend to be following news, that's for sure. No doubt about it. That was sad stuff. Brutal. I, uh... 
I actually try to get away from that stuff. It's better to do it. Yeah, it, it's amazing how much better it is for your mental well-being. It's not better to be uninformed. Right. But for your mental well-being, I think it's good to get away from all of that stuff, whether it's the 24-hour news cycle and those channels or whether it is social media. Sometimes it's just great to get out on a bike and go for a ride. I watched, uh, let's see, the Lance Armstrong documentary. I found that, that fascinating. Um, I am trying, let's see, the, the Epstein oh. documentary is out. I don't know if I watched that. I that, watched it. That it didn't is, seem to be very positive. It is. It's not going to put you in a good mood. It, it won't. No. But it's, you know, it's a story that needs to be told and people need to be aware of, sure. of things that are and happening. this is not Mike Epstein, the former A's second baseman. No. This is Jeffrey Epstein. That's correct. Correct. Okay. You know, if I was watch- Mike Epstein on those World Series teams, that would be different altogether. Well, yeah. I mean, it'd be a celebration of yeah, baseball. It would. Of course. Um, I watch Life Below Zero from the National Geographic Channel. Do you watch that? Uh, no. no I when that? I decide to live a life of sustenance, um, I'm figuring out all kinds of ways to do that. And I'm getting closer than I ever thought. Um, so living off the land is, is really interesting to me. Are yeah. you a camper? I... No. <laughs> like, My, if you well, were forced to live off farmer. the land, could you figure it out? Yeah, I could. Okay, that's impressive. Yeah, I could not. I could, yeah. I'd be the first one dead. I mean, I, I don't think it'd be enjoyable. I think <laughs> there'd be a, some frostbite involved. Uh, trying to get a fire started would be very tough for me. And without a, like a lighter or something, sure. I need a match. I mean, let's see. So light below zero. Yeah, I'm into that. Um, and my my little guy likes to watch it too. So we we he actually slept with me last night. He fell asleep and I didn't feel like moving him. So I <laughs> I just let him sleep in the bed with me. But. Um, that has been the weird thing for me, man, is having weekends off and being home. It's yeah. been weird. Yeah. It's been odd. Your nights are available. <laughs> yes. They're too available. <laughs> You'll be home for Father's Day this year. When is it? A couple weeks. <laughs> when is really? it? Really? 14th, yeah. <laughs> Same day as the uh, McGuire Sosa documentary. Are you looking forward to that? Yes, I am. What, what do you want to get out of it? I, I, I mean, I, I know what happened. Yeah, so but I, 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 mean, I, like, I just want to okay. hear now, looking back... And we're going to talk to to Big Mac about this. But I'm interested to see, because you were around Mark. I was around Mark a lot that year. And he, he, I don't think he had a good time. I wonder, reflecting now. I totally agree with that, yeah. I I wonder if, I just want to know how he feels about it now, reflecting back 22 years. Well, I, I do think he feels that he helped save baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would agree. You know, coming out of 1994 and that work stoppage, you did have Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's streak. You had Sosa McGuire. And I think a really important thing at that point in time was that you had a Yankees dynasty. And yep. then with the face of baseball and Derek Jeter, who was great with the media in New York, you needed that. And then the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry was terrific at that time. I think those things were important. And I've done some thinking of, like, coming out of this, if they don't play, what do you have? We were wondering about that. Mm-hmm. What what possibly could happen that would bring people back? What person or event could bring people back to ballparks? Because the the way I phrased it was, as with apologies to Rick Pitino, McGuire and Sosa aren't walking through that, that door, door, right? Yeah. They, they yeah. aren't. You, you aren't going to have a Fernando Valenzuela. You aren't going to have that singular pitcher that is unusual because he's from a different place. Right. Where you're going to have 50,000 people a night in to watch him. You aren't going to have that team like the Yankees were that can grab people's imaginations. 
I don't know what baseball could possibly deliver that would capture the imagination of the American public. I don't know either. And that concerns me. And that's why you just keep it going. Keep playing. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you look at the revenues that have been out there for owners and they've been historic. They've been so good. So good. And the players are making so much money. Um, it's a good product. I, I enjoy watching baseball. Now, some people may disagree and think it, it's slow and it takes too long. And, you know, you've got Rob Manfred doing a three batter minimum. And should you have the DH and all that stuff? It That's fine. But you still have the sport. And the sport is a good sport. It's a great sport. I love the sport. It's a fun thing to do in the summer mm-hmm. around here. Um, but do we have that singular team player moment coming up? I don't think so. But even without that, they literally have a golden goose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Which is amazing. Yeah, and they're they're threatening to kill it. I don't know. I don't know if we'd ever get to the point of killing it. What would define killing the sport? I think that there's a very good chance that they could affect their attendance and ratings to the point where... They're, they could have half the revenues that they have now. Their, their revenues last year were $10.7 billion. I could see them maxing out in that five and a half range because companies and fans say, hey, you weren't there when the country needed you most. And if you aren't going to be there for us, we're not going to be there for you. You love going to games. Love it. How many games do you go to a year? Uh, as a fan or as media? Fan. Fifteen twenty, and do you go with friends or is it your parents or both? You, okay, both. mixed bag. Would if they shut it down, would you go back? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 but, I but it's think part th- of our lives here, we, and I can we say that about other markets? That's, that's the, the difference. Thing that concerns so. me. And when you talk about it becoming a social event in two years, if if they strike, we're going to have MLS here. That can be a social event yeah. during the summer, and it will be. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. With all of the renovations made to Keener Plaza downtown, and that will be made to the downtown area, people can go downtown and have a great time in the city of St. Louis, downtown St. Louis specifically, without going to a baseball game. Yeah, I I think to the greater point of what you're talking about. Can I add one thing here? Yeah. St. Louis is a different animal. Yeah. I I don't think it's going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not worried about us here. No, uh, it's it's a different market. (laughs) Yeah. I think coming out of this, too, anything's on the table, so expansion would be something to look at because the expansion fee would be a ton of money to get back into the coffers of the owners. Players would be for that because that's jobs. You'd have to look at that. Um, you know, Miami and Tampa, they don't draw anyway. Uh, Baltimore, I mean, a 55 or $65 million payroll now. They might be in a better position, by the way, some of those right. lower payroll teams and the guys yeah. that are stuck with Bryce Harper for 13 years and Mike Trout at over $400 million. Think about that. Right. Yeah. No doubt about it. You know, with over the next couple of years. But I look at, I could see Pittsburgh being a tenuous situation. Yes. I could see Cincinnati being a tenuous situation. You look around, uh, Arizona already is tenuous. Yeah. With, with it, we've talked already about Oakland. deals like what the Rams had. Right, you know, it's a bad situation. Right. So, and and they can get out of it. So, there are at least a half dozen, eight teams that I would think would be on the precipice of disaster if they don't play. I think that you would have a lot of people say, "I'll never come back again," and some of them will stick to that. 
I do think, though, to your point, Michelle, that here in St. Louis, it's a different animal. It's almost mm-hmm. like an outlier. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a social event. It's not just it's a, a religion. Base- it, it is. It's not just a baseball team. It's part of the fabric of our community. But if you have other options, um, what's going to make that family afford go down there? And, and here's the other thing. If if you come out of this and you have 40 million plus Americans unemployed, uh, where is their discretionary income going? When you have, you're, you're already trying to figure out different things to do. And as the country is opening up, you're figuring out other options right now that you might enjoy as a family. Is your appetite to go to a baseball game? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I do think it's a question that would be on my table of issues of thinking about whether or not to come back for sure. And even if your appetite is just to to go to a sporting event. You're on the lower end. Right. Because of what happened. But you can be sitting at home and there is no baseball, but you're watching hockey and you're watching the NBA and you'll be watching college football and probably pro football as well. Those will be accessible to you, and those will be top of mind for you. You know, Mizzou, I think, reports June 6th for, like, mm-hmm. workouts and physicals and that kind of... I mean, the SEC, they're going to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. They are going to play come oh, yeah. hell or high water, man. They're going to get this thing done. We got football. We got football. I, I, You know, the thing is, if you said... Georgia and Florida are going to play this Saturday, and tickets are on sale now for 10 bucks. And it's, let's say you're in the swamp. So what is that, about 80,000 people? Mm-hmm. Sold out. Sold out, isn't it? No, no question. doubt about it. No, no question. question about it. No question. And the NFL, with the money that is on the line, you think they're not going to play? Oh, we know they're playing. Of course they're going to play. I, I read a thing today that said, um, in terms of advertisers for the NFL, they there has been ad agencies uh, be, have been told, you better buy now because they're playing and the rates might be a little bit better now than what they're going to be in the fall mm-hmm. because they're playing. Come hell or high water, there's going to be football. Man. What do we have coming up on Scoops with Danny Mac? Dr. Rick Lehman. The doctor. So he's interesting. Um, one of the things I want to get into is kids' summer camps. You know, whether or not it's feasible, should they be playing? The average American, what can you do to try to fight the virus? Um, which is kind of interesting. I want to hear what he has to say about that and then get into the plans of these sports. Are they viable to to make it work? So we'll get into it with Dr. Rick Lehman. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. Great job today by our producer, the one and only Tommy Freeze Pops Carol. Colin, thank you very much. Colin Surrey running the board and contributing. Michelle, always great. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. Another week is off and running here on Carriker and Smallman. Thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And for us until tomorrow at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.